Yibrach. <laughs> what a pleasure. You know, it's always, a, you know, in the old days, before I had one of these seven grades that flipped over, I used to always, like, stop and then flip over the tape and invariably I tell some kind of joke. So people who listen to the original tape, you suddenly hear at the beginning side B people laughing. They're like, what happened? What happened? What did I miss? I, you didn't miss anything. Anyway, <laughs> just as proud they laugh out of context. Anyway, <laughs> it is Parshish Sisa, and there is a question that we dealt with seven years ago. Those of you who are here, there are there are actually people who have been here for the entire time. Um, and, uh, and there was a question we dealt with seven years, years ago on Parshish Kisisa that I'm coming back to in a slightly different form. And that is that thematically, obviously, thematically, the true Parshish Truma is the Mishka. Obviously. Parshish Tzava is the Kohanim, the Big Kahuna. That's the reason that the Mizbeach Hazohov is there. Right, because that represents the Ketah Kahuna, right, where the incense was brought currently. Parshish Kisisa is obviously the theme of the Egel Azahav. And since it is the theme of the Egel Azahav, it's important to note that there are a whole bunch of little Parshios that are stuck here at the beginning that apparently do not belong. So there is the uh, Parsha of the Machis HaShekel, which we will talk about in two weeks when it's Parsha Shkolim. There's the Parsha of the um, of the Kior. There's the Parsha of the Shavana Mishcha, the Parsha of the Ketores, the Parsha of the fact that Betzal ben Uri ben Hur, together with Ahaliyah ben Achisamach from Shevet Dan, are the people who are going to actually build the Mishkan. The fact that uh, and then it goes into Shabbos. And those are the introductory partials before we then turn to the actual story of the Ega. Now, seven years ago, we gave a general Mahalach to the Egel Azahav, and we plugged all of those partials into it. I want to, um, two years ago, we dealt with one of those partials, which I will be returning to today, and, uh, and that is the parasha of Ketores. The fact that the Ketores is placed in this week's parasha. Why is that there? Now, uh, the truth of the matter is, we have to try to understand what's going on in the Ketores. Because if you read the Ketores, at least the way it's written in the Torah, it's not at all clear exactly what's going on. Those of us who are careful to say Keturus in the morning, uh, for those of you who, to whom the davening consists of Baruch Sha'ama, Ashrei, and um, Yishtabach, there's this whole section called Tzuki de Zimra, and before that, there's another section called Karbanos, which includes the Keturus. I do not know why people don't say Karbanos and Ketores. I once was in a yeshiva where they told me, skip it, we don't say it. Yet. And I was very surprised, but uh, since I had your site and I didn't want to lose the Amud, I uh, said it, luckily I had gotten there earlier and said it already. But uh, I don't know what the Makor is. I haven't found one. 
If you look in Shulchan Aruch, you look in the Poroskim, it's all pretty clear. You're supposed to say Kavanos and you're supposed to say Keturis. Um, my friend Rabbi Menachem Nissel, in his already classic work on women's tefillah, Rigshe Leib, brings a psaq from Rabbi Yoshev that women are supposed to say Keturis in the morning. And it is considered pretty important. I have a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mati Stern, who is on a Qataris campaign. He has done everything he can to get people to say Qataris. He has helped publish Sparim that stress what a tremendous gula it is. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to say Qataris and how tremendously worthwhile it is. So really, it's a, an important area. So those who do say it in the morning, you'll find that there are certain aspects that are uh, important be said. But let's, let's go through this the paragraph. Take for you spices. It lists three. Samim, spices. Ulevona, right? Frankincense. Zaka, vadiradihia. So, this is, if you count, there are four that are actually mentioned here. Natuf, which Rashi says is three. Shcheles, which is Tziparin. Chelbana, which is Chelbana. And Levina, which is Levina. Right? Frankincense. Now, the Chachamim Darshan from this, that there are 11 ingredients in the Ketaris. Samim, that's minimum of two. Anything that's plural is minimum of two. Kachlecha Samim, that's two. Natav Ushcheles Vechelbana, that's five. Samim, now you double this. So you double this and you get ten. Ulevona, eleven. Get it? Two, right, Samim, Natav Ushcheles Vechelbana, Samim, double. They say, well, maybe Samim just means another two. Then it should have said, Kachlucha, Samim, Samim. Natas, Ushcheles, Vechelbana, Levona. Right? The fact that it says Samim lists three, which gives us five, and then says Samim again, means to double it. Levona brings it to 11. And uh, these are the 11 ingredients that goes into it. So, Thank you very much. You don't know who I was. Yeah. So, this is the Gemara increases. That above. Vahachelbana, Vahalabana, those are the four that are mentioned. Tziparin is Shachelis. When I mentioned the Pusik Shachelis, we said that Tziparin. The four that are mentioned, Sari, Tziparin, Achelbana, Vahalabana, Mishkal, Shivim, Shivim, Mana. Seven. Seventy parts. Mar, Uksia, Vishibalas, Nared, Vacharkom. That's Mishkal, Shisha, Asa, Shisha, Asa, Mana. Five. Sixteen parts. Hakosh, 
Koshit twelve. The kilufa shlosha, three parts. The kinaman pisha, cinnamon nine. Those are the eleven spices, but we're not done. Buris tarshina tisha kabis. This type of uh, whitening detergent, nine kaf. Yayin kafrisin, caper wine, se'in tlosa v'kabin tlosa. Three saw and three kaf. Ilomatzidam kafrisin maybe chama chivayin atik. If you can't find caper wine, get old wine. Melech stoimus rova, throw in some salt. Mala Oshin, this thing that made it go straight up like a pillar, Kol Shehu. Fine. And no Dvash. No Dvash. Okay? Fine. This is it. You grind it up. Now we've spoken about this before. We spoke about this two years ago. We spoke about Katerus. We spoke about it on Parshish Nikates about four years ago. We talked about this on... Um, on a Purim Shira once, and we spoke about Mordechai, we spoke about that some years ago, so we've dealt with different themes of this. I'll tell you what bothers me this year, and uh, it's something that's been hovering in the background. There are 11 ingredients here. What do you do with them for the most part? You grind them up, and you make them into a fine powder. You say, we chant. As you sit there smashing this stuff up and you make it into this fine powder. <coughs> and yet two entire ingredients are introduced into the Qataris specifically for the purpose to treat the Tsiparin. Why is it that the Tsiparin requires more preparation than everything else? Now, I will share with you what is my underlying assumption which might be incorrect. I'm going to share with you my underlying, and, and I stress it might be incorrect because I have only one source that would seem to indicate that I'm right, which we'll talk about, obviously. But, um, but I'll tell you what my assumption is. My assumption is that if there are 11 different ingredients, 11 herbs and spices, yeah? Those of you who remember that. Anyway, 11 different ingredients that goes into this. Each one of them must be significant and must represent something. Now, I could be wrong. It could be we took these 11 things because they smell really good. And of everything in the world that smells good, these 11 things smell better than everything else. And that's why we chose it without any significance. That has not been my experience with any Torah laws to date. So I, I find that hard to believe. I can bring you the fact that the Chazal discuss the Chelbana, which is the one that smells bad. And they say, why do they bring the Chelbana, Galbanum, I think it's called, if it smells bad, to teach you that whenever the Jewish people get together, you should always include the sinners of the Jewish people. They should always, you know, even the Jews who smell bad should be able to be incorporated to the Jewish people. Fine. So that's, the, you see there's a significance at least one of the 11 to which I said to one person that perhaps that's the exception that proves the rule. None of them have any particular significance except Helbuna, which is the reason they talk about it. Okay? Could be. I spoke to one person who I was discussing with on Shabbos and he says, 
he, he's much more like into diktuk and things like that, the really fascinating uh, areas of Torah that I always have been drawn to. But um, he says, oh, what is this? He says, I heard some, some uh, person going on and on about this. I'll be Kabbalah that each one represents something. I said, yeah, yeah, where is that? He goes, I don't know. I heard it on the radio. Then he asked for money. I said, no, this, it's not going to help me there, is it? You know, you didn't pay too much attention. No, I don't like that kind of stuff. But take a look at this posse. Look how, it, this is Nifal. I was like, yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyway, <laughs> no, no way, no better way to get the average group to have their eyes glaze over than to mention the word Nifal. That's it. Just like, uh-huh, you know, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, and this one over here is, no, no, don't even tell me. Hopal, yeah, yeah. Hopal, yeah. whatever it is. Leave me alone, please, you know. Anyhow. Shouldn't make fun, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people now have all the linear, you know, sidur. You know, it used to be you had you know, your article sitter, and then you'd read it through in the English. Well, you read it through the Hebrew, you didn't understand it. You read it through the English, you didn't understand it. So now it's linear. So like every two words you cannot understand. <laughs> so it's, it's unbelievable because now people really, really spend a lot more time davening. <laughs> Anyways, I'm making fun. I think it's beautiful. It's a real stress that, that people have on trying to understand. And this is always a struggle that we have to try to understand. You know, and that's number one. Number two is, this is the wrong week to make fun of art school. <laughs> because uh, this is the Siam Hashas in Madison Square Garden. 40, 50,000 people will be gathering to be film Madison Square Garden, you know, to have the Siam Hashas. It's an unbelievable condition. President Bush wanted to come. This is what someone on the inside told me. President Bush wanted to come, and they said to him, well, Masaki, did you finish? <laughs> So they're arranging a hookup for him from the White House. He's going to speak from the White House and Zehu. You understand? Unless he actually finished. So anyway, he bought himself an art school brach. I said, we'll see. The next time. <laughs> so uh, that dialed off. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that's my, um, oh, an ADD moment. What was I talking about? <laughs> I know guitarist, that doesn't help me. Oh my gosh. How did I get into this? Oh yeah. Linear. Why did I go into the linear? <laughs> what? Does that mean to do that? Nifal. Nifal. That's it. On the radio. Good. <laughs> see this tape I don't mind putting out. So what? You know what I mean? So see, I'll get death threats from the Dictook Society. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, you say Hufa. <laughs> anyway, so um, the uh, so therefore, I, I I know there is something out there. I know there is something out there. <coughs> In addition to that, I feel obviously that whenever you see anything like this, it obviously must be of significance. So, uh, what all eleven of them represent, I'm not going to be presenting this evening. You know, we have a limited period of time, and I don't know. So, I did focus, however, on Tzipari, because this is something that, to me, I consider to be extremely important. Because you see that it gets two ingredients included just to treat it. The other one that requires special treatment like this. Seems strange. In any event, let's see what we know about it. 
It's called Tziparin. That's the term that it uses. Tziparinayim, as we know, are fingernails. And this is somehow called fingernails. There are those who suggest it was actually made out of fingernails. Now, I have never smelled burning fingernails. <laughs> I don't know if that smells good. I don't know that I want to find out. But there is a medrash that says that if you become a sandik at a bris, it is like you were a maktik taras. Why? Because when you, um, when you, when Moshe, when Avram Avinu did all the milas that first day, the first time, he put them together in a small mound, all the orlas, and the sun melted them, and they brought up a smell like the Kitaras. Now, if that's what fingernails smell like, then I don't know that I want to smell it. <laughs> I could use this as a jumping off point to discuss the post that went up recently discussing the practice of at a bris doing mitzitzah the peh, but I try to keep my controversial discussions to a minimum, <laughs> so I don't need any pro anti-molem calling me next. But, uh, but I, I don't know if that's what the figure does mean. Rashi does not say that. Rashi says it was a, <coughs> a root. There are others who discuss other things that it may have been, and whatever, whether it came off, it was a part of something that came off that looked like fingernails, whether it was supposed to be clear and bright and shiny like fingernails, because fingernails shine on your body. It's the only part, your eyes and your fingernails are the only part that shines, it actually reflects light. I mean, I mean that's stupid because everything reflects light, but it means it shines with light. Yeah. Uh, some people say that's the reason at Havdola that we use our fingernails because it actually reflects and shines from the light. Okay? The reflective quality to it. But it was some sort of a root, and that's the reason when you took it out of the ground it was dirty, and as such it had to be first washed to whiten it. The process of whitening it made it weaker, so you then had to put it into the yayin kafrizen to strengthen it and bring it back up to par. That would seem to be what it is. That's why I'm wondering why the tziparin is so high maintenance. Why does so much effort need to go into this ingredient more than all the others? So let's speak for a moment about the summon and see if we can get a general understanding of it. There are 11 spices in the summon. Now we have spoken about the number 11 before. Um, and we said that there are two aspects to the number 11. There's the number 11, first of all, represents the force of Esav in the world. When Yaakov Avinu meets Esav, Yaakov says, Yesh li kol, I have everything that I need. I am sholem, I am complete. And... <coughs> Yaakov and Esav responds, Yeshli Rav, I have a lot. I have more than I need. Ten is the number of Shlemus. Ten is completion. Eleven is by definition more. And we said 
Making something more can make something incomplete, i.e., adding a uh, mustache onto the Mona Lisa does not make it a better painting. Understand? Adding more pepper to the stew doesn't necessarily make it a better stew. Adding things to something that is a masterpiece can very likely take away from it. And something that is shalane, when you add something extra to it, it takes away in the process. Therefore, Yaakov is represented by the number 10, Yaakov, and in fact, Yud, which stands for 10. Akev stands for heel, to tell us that from the top to the bottom, he was Yud. He was 10, all the way down to his Akev. He was shalane, he was complete, he was whole, yeah? Ishtam, he was a person who was complete. Mimus. That is what Yaakov represented. Eleven is Esav. And therefore, when we built the Mishkan and Parshish Truma, we wove ten pieces of beautiful material that was going to serve as the roof and wall coverings of the Mishkan. And we made 10 of those pieces. And the 10 of them, when put together, each one was four amos, because when they uh, wove, they had to throw the thread back and forth. And you really, it's hard to do that more than four amos, as you can imagine, you know, and run down and catch it, it's extremely inefficient. So in order to do this back and forth, this is how they would do it, which is one of the places, by the way, they say we learn out Zurika, Zurek in, in Rosh Hashanah, Rav says, right? But anyway, they would go back and forth with it, and the piece was four amos wide, 28 long, four amos wide, they made 10 of these, sewed five and five, 50 loops, and double-edged hooks to put it together, and that became the roof in the back and sides of the Mishnah. They then make 11 pieces out of goat hair. And the goat hair is then made 30 amos long, 4 amos wide, and they take 11 pieces. 6 and 5. Why 11? So the se'ir represents the ka'ahara, as in the seer lazazel, the seer, the goat that we toss off the mountain. That's Asaph, who is hairy. Right, like a goat, he's represented by the seir, and therefore it's brought down in a number of places that those eleven pieces, which are there to protect the ten pieces, is there to counteract the power of Asa. So that's one example. Um, the uh, it's brought down in some places that the eleven samanim in the Kataris are there to counteract Asa. That's why there are 10 nice smelling one and one bad smelling one, the chelbana, which is that force of Asaph to try to make it smell bad, which we then bring in. On high Griezmann, high Abel, there are 11 plolos, can I get Asaph? So the number 11 can represent that force in the world. There's another thing that the number 11 can represent. And that is, as we know, the last two letters of Hashem's name is a Vav and a He, which together equals 11. Therefore, 
There's a way of understanding 11 as saying 10 is totality, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the 11th that, so to speak, brings it all together and unites it and makes it one. As we'll see in one moment, the Tzorah Hamar says this specifically. So, in that case, 11 is this force of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world. Right? As Rashi said in Parshish, Bishalach, which, uh, since we just had Purim Cotton, certainly is appropriate to talk about, namely, Hashem's hand is on case Ka, Milchama against Amalek, right, from generation to generation. Hashem is not Hashem, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. He is only Ka, without the Vav and the He, as long as Amalek is in the world. The Yud and the He represents HaKadosh Baruch Hu's power in Shemayim. The Vav is the connector, the He is the lower world, where it comes down to us. And he's trying to strip us of those two last letters. He's trying to stop HaKadosh Baruch Hu from being in this world. Stay up in Shamayim. Right? As uh, Rashi says in Kiseitze, he brings a uh, he brings a uh, brings a Chazal that says that he he cut off the Makam Amila and threw it up to Shemayim and says, take what you want. I.e., keep it up there in Shemayim. It's not down here with us. Yeah? Trying to stop a Kodesh Baruch Hu from coming down into this world. So, obviously, the number 11, which represents those last two letters of Hashem's name, represents a Kodesh Baruch Hu being able to come into the world. So, what then, if you think about that, if there's 10 and there's 1, so that one has to be taking the ten, not an adding to it, but allowing the entire ten to expand beyond itself, to move beyond its limitations. The Torah Hamar says the following in this week's parasha. Kang Timsa Shahayu Biktoires Yud Alev Samani. Eleven. Esser Keneged the Aseris Hadibros, ten for the Aseris Hadibros, and ten also corresponds to the ten Ma'amoros, the ten expressions with which Hashem created the world. The effort Keneged Adon Yochid, and one against Hashem himself, Shahu al Hakol, the Ola al Ha'esser. He is above it all and above the ten and beyond it. The Hamaskil Yovin. So that's not me, but uh, he does say the following in his little footnote here. I found no basis for this in the Zohar of the Chazal. Uh, he does bring uh, one reference that caused for the Kataris Keneged Yud Smiris. The ten Smiris, which we know is also connected all. You know, connected all those tens that we mentioned, it is related to that. Now, if you remember, the power of Klai Yisrael being able to extend beyond itself as 11, that's represented by Yosef. And that's why Yosef 
is a dream with 11 stars, right? The 11 represents this power to be able to take the 10 and a Kodesh Baruch and move it beyond it. So that's what we're talking about, right? All right. What does this guy do with the Tzipara? That's the 11 spices. What's the Tzipara? Assuming we take out the Chalbana. I'm not sure that I'm right. I don't know which one to take out. I'm going to take out the Chalbana. I'll be random. Yeah? Hatsari the Hatsipara, which of course corresponds all the way at the beginning to the Nata of Shchelis. That's the Tzri and the Tziparin. Tziparin is number two. What is the second of the Dibros? The first one is Anoichi Hashem The first one is I am the Lord your God together Egypt. The second one is Elohim Acherim. Have no other gods. What is that telling me? The first Dibros says I am Hashem. I am everything. That is totality. The second one says don't have any other gods beside me. He's calling them Elohim Achirim. That means that God says there are these other Elohim, don't have them. The name Elohim, which can sometimes, as we see, be Elohim, is a strange name. It is the only name of a Kodesh Baruch Hu that is sometimes Kadosh and sometimes not. You can't do that with any other name of Hashem. It represents a force in the world that Hashem gave for things to be able to exist and do things in the physical and spiritual realms without Hashem's participation. That means that a Kodesh Baruch Hu created a world that is broken up into parts, physically and spiritually. It is up to us to unite all those parts into a coherent whole. That is very hard to do. On the most simplistic level, when we are learning, very often we can lose the forest for the trees. We get so involved with questions and questions on the questions and questions on the questions on the questions. And we go with the commentaries and commentaries on the commentaries. We get so far that when you stop and say to someone, wait a second, what are we doing? What's the problem? So we know we're trying to answer the Rebbe Kiva Eger, but why did we bring in the Rebbe Kiva Eger? Oh, because we had a problem with the Pnei Yeshua's child of Tosis. Why? Because uh, Tosis had this problem? Yeah. And why did we bring that in? Oh, that's right, because it's a posset. Excellent. And you get so involved in going further and further away that you don't even realize where you're branching off to. It's the branching off that the danger exists. Let's go back to the first sin, because that's always good. You can never go wrong with going back to the first chit. They threw this thing in the Qataris called the Mala Oshin. What did that do? It made it go straight up like a column. Now think for a moment. What's a tree? A tree goes straight up. That's the trunk. And what happens after that? It branches. And then there are branches, and branches of branches, and branches of branches, and then there's a fruit. And if you don't work your way back to the trunk, you think the fruit has nothing to do with the trunk. And that was the hate that laid the foundation for the first hate. The trees didn't taste like the fruit. Because if the trees tasted like the fruit, then when you planted an apple seed, and you got this stick, and you took a bite out of it, you'd say, oh, it tastes like an apple. 
a little hard on the teeth, but anyway, at least I know this is an apple tree. Now, if you take a bite out of an apple tree, it tastes surprisingly like wood. You understand? And the whole trunk tastes like that. Don't take my word for it. Try it. Go out and find a few trees and see what happens. Yeah? Now, now those of you who may be at that stage of life where you can't really afford to do that because you might leave your teeth in the tree, <laughs> get someone younger to do this in any event. But you'll see, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's wood. And that's why there's a branch of a branch of a branch of a branch of a branch to the fruit. If you look at the fruit and you don't connect it back to the, to the trunk, which goes straight, the menorah goes straight, and then it branches out, and it branches out, and it branches out, and it always points back to the middle. That's why we're told to light the, um, we're always told to light the Torahs, um, when we are Meti the Neros, it's the relationship between the two because both of them have this message of going straight up but if it branches off it can take you to all kinds of places and then you don't realize where it's going to that's a Bodhisattva is I know how to get this spiritual pleasure and experience. It's totally disconnected from a Kodesh It doesn't bring me back to the root. But at least I understand that, wow, this is something. This relates to something. Yeah? <coughs> there were all kinds of forces out there. Yeah? But the, the point is to bring it back to HaKodesh Baruch say this every day. Well, this is actually that Pesukah is in the part of the They're all Elilim. They all have power. They all have ability to be able to, to connect to something. The commandment was, I'm Hashem, I'm totality. See all the little parts? Don't go after the little parts. There's two parts to this. There's removing the, the fact that everything is broken up into parts, and there's bringing it all together. Those are two different, those are two different concepts. There's a part of your body where after you finish uh, growing, after you become an adult, that continues to grow. Your eyes remain the same. The fact of the matter is that uh, your eyes remain the same size when you're an adult that they did when they were a baby. They don't grow. Right? That's right, babies look they have such big eyes. You get smaller, you have smaller eyes. Um, your bones continue to grow. The fact of the matter is when you're born, they don't all connect. They have to fit in. They have to start to fill in. Things grow. Everything grows. And once you're basically the same size, things don't really grow more if you're healthy. That doesn't mean that your red, red blood cells don't replace itself. That doesn't mean that your skin cells don't replace itself. But you're not usually going to keep growing more layers of skin. And if you do, you have to see somebody because there's something wrong, right? Um, after your permanent teeth come in, you should not be growing more teeth. 
And the teeth that you have should not be getting longer, especially at night when there's a full moon. Because then there's a problem, okay? So, you know, things don't grow. There's a particular, there's two parts of your body that does. Your hair, right? Although, sometimes you reach a point there. Okay, but anyway. And your nails. Your nails continue to grow. Now, there are some people who say your nails continue to grow when you're dead. That's a mistake. They don't. Your body begins to recede. And so it looks like they're growing. They're really not. They say the same thing. But while you're alive, they keep growing. Your nails will continue to grow. Yeah? They become brittle and they break off. Right? Which, uh... <coughs> Anna White, who became a celebrity because she turns the little letters on the Wheel of Fortune. I read this in the paper. So they once asked her, did she ever suffer any personal tragedy? And she said that she once broke a nail while doing that. So one can feel for a person goes <laughs> to these traumas. But in any event, nails represent the 11 in the body. It continues to grow. It extends beyond you, right? Now, it wasn't always that way. Because in Gan Eden, the Chazal tell us, their entire body was covered with this substance. Which must have been a really difficult if you were a nail biter. You know what I mean? Because you'd be chewing on your shoulder, you know? But their whole body was covered with this substance. When we left Gan Eden and we lost that level, it flew off, flying off out of our fingers and our toes, which is where Tumma leaves the body. That's why we have the Parsha of the Kiyar, where the Kohanim would go and wash their hands and feet, because that's where the Tumma, when you wake up in the morning, remains. It leaves the, the spirit of death that's in you. When you're sleeping, flies out through your hands and your feet. We don't wash our feet, simply because we usually keep it covered, right? But if it, fly, it flies out of your fingers. Right? That's where evil spirits tend to leave your body. For those of you who are familiar with these things. Right? Basman, the famous story where he was sent by the Chavetz Chaim to chase out this dibek, you know. So it, you know, evidently her fingernail fell off and the window pane broke as this spirit shot out. So this is where evil forces leave the body. Yeah? So the, the, the spiritual things fly out that way. So the, the nails flew off and remained just on the tips of the fingers and the toes. Perhaps that explains a very strange concept that we've all heard. Namely, when you cut your nails, you're supposed to burn them or flush them down the toilet. Get rid of them. Why? Lest a pregnant woman step on them and miscarry. As you all know, hospital rooms around the world are filled with women stepping on nails. You understand? This is a very common occurrence, you know. Doesn't come up much. Why should that be? One of my seminary girls like to say, that's so random, yeah? <laughs> what does that mean? So the answer is, because the fact that women are pregnant is only a holdover from Gan Eden. Women weren't supposed to be pregnant, right? That's, they, they, they were only in Gan Eden for a few hours and kind in heaven and their sisters were all born there. You know, today we have digital photography. That's what it used to be like, you know? When I was growing up, you take a roll of pictures, you put it in an envelope, put it to the drugstore, you got your pictures back two weeks later. That's what it is today. 
right? When it comes to giving birth. When I came to giving birth back then, it was like digitally. Take the picture. You like it? Yeah, put print. That was it. You know? So. Which is an A Hevel Echicha. And he says the kind A is also 11. Points out. In any event, <coughs> so the. So the fact that women are pregnant because that, and the nails remind us of the great level we had when we were in Ghanaian. The remnant of that are the nails that still grow. The fact that they grow, the tzipornayim are the, that ability of us to be able to extend back, to bring back what is supposed to be. That's the power of fingernails. It means that you messed. The measure says, and we spoke about this, I think, many years ago. That it's a Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer. That during Shabbos, Hashem was protecting Adam. And afterwards, he was afraid that the evil forces that were created by the hate are going to come and get him. So he, you know, as it comes to the end of Shabbos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates fire. This big pillar of fire to protect him. And he realizes that Hashem still loves him. Which is the reason we make a Bari Mareya Eish on Motzi Shabbos. And what do we do? We hold our fingernails up to it. To remind us we used to be in Gan Eden. This is, this is what we can achieve and what we're supposed to achieve. So that being the case, when you, when you look at your fingernails, you appreciate what your fingernails are, so you understand that they represent a force that is extending beyond ourselves. Those are the, when we talk about Sipurim, that's what the fingernails, the fact that it's called fingernails is obviously significant. Now, there's a fascinating saying called Mizbeach Hazav by one of the Mojitzes, one of the Mojitzes Rebbe's. One second, I'll tell you. Mordechai ben Shlomo, oh, I'm sorry, from Mezrich. He was one of the Tal- Talmidim of the Maharshal and the Baal Rabushi. He has a whole sefer called Mizbeach HaZahav where he takes a whole discussion on the Ketaros. And when he comes, he has just two little pieces that talk about the Tzipharot. And he says the following. The Tzipharot comes out black on the ground comes out dirty, because it represents hate. You put it in the Baris Karshina, the purpose of that is to whiten it, to make it better, to make it the way it's supposed to be. That's the Baris Karshina. And then that, and the whitening process makes it weaker. So what do you have to do? You now have to put it into the Yain Kafrisin, which is then going to strengthen it. Boris Hashina makes it. Boris Hashina makes it uh, pure, and the Yain Kaprizin makes it strong again. He says the following: the Tziparin represents the Balchu. It represents a person who did something wrong and became blackened, who can now whiten himself and become pure. 
and in the process of purifying himself, he may become weak, in which case he then has to strengthen himself with the Yain Kafrisit. And he says the Yain Kafrisit represents the socket. He doesn't take it further than that. And I'm wondering to myself, what is the significance of the Yain Kafrisit? Why the Yain Kafrisit? Kafrisin, which is translated as caper or caperberry, comes from a bush called the Tzlaf. And the Chazal tell us that the Tzlaf can be completely eaten. Every part of it, you make different brachas on it, you can eat this part and that part and this part. Every single part of it is something that can be used. That's one thing it says. You strengthen it with the Yain Kafrisin. Now, there's another part where he says four of the Samamonim are mentioned in the Torah, and those are the first four that are mentioned, where it says you bring Shivim Shivim. That's the Natav, Shechelet, Shechelbana, and Lavona, which he says is, of course, what we call the Sri and the Kafrisen, I'm sorry, and the Tziparin, Chelbana, and Lavona. He says, what do they represent? The Sri is the perfect Tzadok. It has a beautiful smell. It is a power of refua. It's perfect. He says the chelbana obviously represents those who smell bad. They have nothing. They have nothing. The levinus, he says, represents those people who have Torah, but not Torah. And therefore, levina has no smell unless you burn it. Someone just told me they bought some Lavona, some frankincense in the shuk, and Taki doesn't smell. When you burn it, you know, it's, you have to be a certain distance and then you're able to smell it. And so what does the Tziparim represent? Those people with Maas and Tovin, but without any Taira. We don't have any Taira, and you have the Maas and Tovin, you don't have the foundation. You don't have the understanding. Then you're going to make mistakes. That's the reality. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand what I'm doing. And I don't necessarily know how to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And that leads me to problems. That's the danger. That's the problem. And so the Tziparan represents a force in Klayasot that makes mistakes, and then has to be whitened, and then has to be refreshed. It's the power of those who are and then uchi. That's what the Tziparin represents. And as such, it's high maintenance. It takes a lot of effort. If you never mess up, things are pretty good. You just keep going. You just keep going. If you mess up, it's a different process. The Chazal tell us this world is shaped like a hay. Why? Well, it's not shaped like a hay. It was created with the O's hay. So that if you fall down, there's a hay, right? You fall down, there's still a little Pesach over here that you can get back in. You got that? You fall down, you can go back up through here. But there's an obvious question. If you fell down here, why don't you go back up here? 
the answer is, when you want to get back to where you are, you've got to work harder. You can never be, I'll never have that same level that I had unless I work harder. For those who say that was other than Chavez Cheshben when they ate from the Eight Sadats. They understood how hard it was to do tshuva and what a difference it would make if they did. And therefore, they worked that when they ate from the Eight Sadats, it was with the intention to do tshuva. And that's why when they first ate from it, a Baruch Hu doesn't throw them out. He says, why did you eat from the tree? No, he says, did you eat from the tree? And the correct answer to that point was, yes. Chatasi, Avisi, Pashati. We messed up. We made a terrible mistake. Instead he said, she did it. She said, no, 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 the Nachash did it. Did you guys? No, we're fine. <laughs> okay. And then you're going to have to go through a 6,000-year circuitous route to get back here until you figure out that you messed up. You fall down here, it's not that easy to get back up here. You're going to have to go all the way around to get back up. <coughs> we were going to enter Eritrea from the south. Right? It was straight up the middle. And we did the Chavit of Miraglam. And we wandered around for 40 years and we came back in through the other side. That door is now closed. You can't go back up the same way you came down. You're going to have to get back in through someplace else. The process when one gets dirty, if you're not dirty, if they didn't do anything wrong, you're kinamon. Do you know what we do with you? Dun, 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 and you're all ready. Yeah, bring the next one. Dun, 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 dun. Bring the next one. You know that? No. You're dirty. Oh. So what do I do? First we soak you and burst Kashina. Now you look nice. Oh. oh, but you sound so weak. Let's soak you in caper about wine. Oh. Now you're good. Run, 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 run. That's a whole process you have to go through. It's so interesting, you know. Yosef is this power of 11 for us to be able to extend beyond ourselves and all that power, right? How did they get the Egil to come out? They took a little piece of gold that said on it, Alei Shor, and threw it in. The same power that brought up Yosef brought up the Egil. How did the Egil come about? Moshe has a great defense. It's a great defense. Yoshev Moshe Hashem, Lamed Beis Lomel. Yoshev Moshe Hashem v'Yoma. Oh no, Chota Amazeh Chato Gedoyla. They did a great sin. V'Yasu Lehem Alei Zohav, and they made God of Gold. Rashi, Atohu Shikaram Lehem. This is your fault, Hashem. You gave them all the gold and everything they wanted. It's your fault they built the Egel. What are they supposed to do if they don't sin? 
a king who dresses, who feeds him, and uh, feeds him, and his, his, his son and gives him fine things to drink, and fixes him up, the total little kiss at Savaroi, puts a money bag around his neck, the Pesach Besa Zonos, and puts him in the door of a house of irrepute. What is he supposed to do and not sin? I don't know. I'm not so impressed with that defense. It's your fault. You gave them gold. You gave them everything they wanted. You know what it's like? It's like a, a, a father who, who takes care of his son. Why didn't he starve him and beat him? Then that kid wouldn't have sinned. You know, listen. Are you, this won't make it in a contemporary kind of course. You know what I mean? What, what exactly is the point that Moses is trying to make? He says, you know where the eagle came from? It came from the second of those Libros that you spoke to them. You won't have any other gods. You gave them all of the options, but they weren't firmly connected to the Anochi. They ended up with Rav instead of Kol with the ability to move a little bit beyond it. They can't deal with that. The purpose is to be able to take all of the different pieces and unite it back, and they didn't know how to do that. You gave them too much gold, you gave them too many things, you gave them too many options, and they weren't able to process it. Yes, you have to give them everything, but it's a problem. Now Hashem says, listen, I've been building them up to this. I gave them the mud, tasted like anything you wanted. I gave them the air, the, the water tasted like any liquid you wanted. I gave them everything, whatever they asked for. Says Moshe, they weren't ready. They took this power of instead of extending beyond themselves to bring everything into a greater whole, it became an Asa. It became an Avodazara. It became negative. <coughs> After the Balchuba goes through a whitening process, you put it in Yayin Kafrisi. <coughs> which comes from the tzlach, where every single part of it is eaten. Every single part of it is used. We put this parsha of the Ketores in on the Ego Azahav, because the Ego Azahav was unfortunately a very bad example of where we managed to take what we were given and misuse it, instead of using it properly. We ended up with so much that we started to look at it as Rav instead of coal. Instead of seeing how everything we're given in our life is a gift. Instead of realizing how everything we're given, every talent, every, everything that comes our way is to eventually reunite it to HaKadosh Baruch There's a Saras Adibros, and we spoke about this with the Luchos four weeks ago. Well, we spoke about how all the Aserah Sadibros first have to trace itself back to Anoichi Hashem All the individual laws by themselves are a mistake. They have to be united into one whole. I am Hashem. And if you miss that, then everything else becomes prutting. Details. And then the details, you lose the forest for the trees. Siparin takes a lot of maintenance, takes a lot of effort. Mas and Tovim is compared to a necklace where each piece is linked together to make a whole. But if you don't see the whole necklace, 
and you just focus on one of the little loops, you get the wrong message. You get lost, lost in the details. The purpose has got to be, and that's why people do a hate. People do a hate because they look at this thing. So you say, you take your son and you fix him up, you give him good food to eat and give him money. What should he do and not sin? He should understand, I don't belong there. That's not what my father would want me to be. Everything that he's given to me is because I'm being prepared for something greater. Everything I learn, every opportunity I get, the person doesn't learn Torah and doesn't see the whole and doesn't see where everything fits together. So I'll use this and I'll use that and I'll run after this pleasure, I'll run after that pleasure and I'll take this thing and I'll take that thing and I miss the whole. I miss the whole for the details. That's the problem and that's the tragedy. <coughs> every year you come to the ego and every year you know you realize we have reached the level of other Marishan before the faith. We were right back there. We had reached the point where we could have put the world back in its perfection and we blew it again. Someone said to me, well, what if we blow it the third time? I said, don't worry. Because Baruch Hu says, if we don't reach it on our own, then he'll put a melech koshikahaman on top of us. And then we'll figure it out. Personally, I say, beat the rush. Do tshuva now. You wait to the end, and it ain't going to be pretty, because everyone's going to, well, everyone who's left is going to be lining up. We don't have to have that. We can go through the whitening process, and then we go into the Yain Kafrisim and say, look at all the good in the world. Look at all the things that are there. It's there to give a tongue. It's there to make things... Tame ha Taira. Taira is supposed to have a tongue to it. It's supposed to feel, it's supposed to taste good. It's supposed to be an enjoyable experience. You know, there are a lot of people who this next week are going to be celebrating the fact that they finished Shas. I'm not advocating or not advocating because no, they don't need me. You know, Ramey Shapiro stood on his own, you know, and uh, there are plenty of uh, big people who are advocating it. I, I really, I'm not a player in this. <laughs> but the people who do, they say, you know what that is? I now, I, I won't say I'm a bucky in shots, but at least I sat through a sheer while the person read through many, many different black Gemara that I never even knew existed. I took Gemara's off of my shelf I didn't even know I had, and I turned all the pages. And now I get to go to a party. <laughs> I'm being facetious as always. Please don't take it the wrong way. What I mean is, obviously people who are going to make an effort to learn and make an effort to be able to get the whole, the Torah should become a part of me. Obviously we have to put effort into it. But when we put in that effort, and we understand it, and we add a Tommy to you, the Yain Kafrisen can get us perhaps to the point where we can, you know, after we've gone to the cleansing process, after we fell down, to be able to get back up to where we belong, to be able to regain those levels that we're supposed to have, and Mir Tashem, all Klaishel, will be able to enjoy them. Oh. I met the shed next year will be in two weeks.